Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a series of programs on the subject of once saved, always saved. Today's program is a continuation of the previous one where I began to address individual verses that people will usually refer to when discussing the subject of can a person lose their salvation, can a person turn away from their salvation, I'm addressing some of the common passages that are spoken of, that are referred to. I certainly will not be able to do all of them, but through addressing these passages, I believe that I will be able to give people enough information that they can take that information and apply it to the other passages that I'm not able to get to. In this program, I'm going to begin in Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 28, where it says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly, do this, and you will live. Now, it does not say in the law explicitly that if you do these things, that you will have eternal life. It does not say that anywhere In the law, this is an extrapolation, and I believe it is a legitimate one, of course, that the Lord Jesus has made to say that if there is going to be any criteria that the Lord our God will use in order to determine who will have eternal life and who will not have eternal life, that this criteria can be used. It is adequate criteria, and so let's just use it. That, to me, is the situation, and the Lord Jesus confirms this by saying, do this and you will live. Now, you have to think about this carefully. What he says is that you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That's a little open-ended, a little open-ended in the sense that I think it is worthwhile to go through the rest of the laws in the scriptures in order to get more clarification concerning the expectations that the Lord would have concerning the fulfillment of these two items that are referred to here. If we go through the scriptures, we can find many laws, many commandments that a person can observe in order to show that they are fulfilling what is expressed here. But this is the point. No one is going to be able to fulfill this to the extent that would be expected. Are you truly loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind? If you say yes, then from my point of view, you are a liar and the truth is not in you. Do you love your neighbor as yourself? Well, how about if I ask your neighbor? I can just ask your neighbors. 
Tell me who your neighbors are, and I'll ask them. Do you love them? Do they feel as if you love them as you love yourself? Would they say that? Would they testify of that? Would they say that that would be the case? Because you testifying on your own behalf, I don't think will be adequate in order to confirm before God that this is true. Let's get two or three witnesses to see if it is true, if you truly love your neighbor as yourself. And perhaps they might have a few things to say about whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind also. Chances are it's not going to go very well because that is the condition that we are in. We are in a condition such that we will not fulfill what is required here. We will not fulfill this. It is not going to happen. And so when people refer to this, which does happen often, as the criteria by which they will have eternal life, if this is the criteria that you would like to use in order to determine who is going to have eternal life and who will not have eternal life, then the answer is not complicated. It's very simple. No one. There will be no one who will ever have eternal life If this is the criteria, this was what the Lord Jesus was doing. That's what he was doing there in Israel. He was there to speak with these people, people such as this man. He was speaking to these people who believed that they had achieved enough. They believed that they were obedient enough, that they loved the Lord their God enough, that they loved their neighbor enough. They believed that. They really did. It was at this time in history that the Lord Jesus showed up personally to explain to them that they haven't quite succeeded yet. In the end, everyone has to concede. They have to admit the truth that they will not fulfill what is required here. And so by definition, you will not live You will not have eternal life. You will not inherit eternal life. Under this criteria, there will have to be something else. There will have to be an alternative. There has to be a different covenant. Because this covenant will never be fulfilled. Is that because there's something wrong with the expectations? For him to expect us to love him with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind, is that too much to ask? I don't think it's too much to ask. For him to expect us to love our neighbors as ourselves, is that too much to ask? No, I I really don't. I don't believe that his expectations are unrealistic. But what I do believe is clear is that there is something wrong with us, not his expectations. There is something wrong with us. There truly is something wrong with you and I that needs to be corrected, that needs to be changed. And the only way that this change is going to occur is if he completely changes us entirely. We have to be made into a completely different creation entirely. We have to be born again because we are dead. We need to be made alive. We have to be transformed into something completely different because who we are when we are born into this world is a person who has no hope, who has no way of ever achieving eternal life, of ever having a place in the kingdom of God. He must make us into someone different. He must do that. There is no one else who can do that. We certainly can't do that. We cannot transform and metamorphosize into something else. 
We don't have the capacity to do that. We can't change who we are in that way, but he can. He does. That is what the new covenant is established for. The new covenant was established because the old covenant was not going to resolve the problems that we truly have. The old covenant was not given so that we could inherit eternal life through the old covenant. He declares that effectively by showing that the expectations and requirements cannot be achieved. And so by default, it certainly was not given for those reasons. It was given for the reason to show us that we would never achieve, that we could never do it, that we would have no hope outside of something else. And the something else is his grace and mercy. Continuing into the Gospel of John, in John chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. He speaks about the kingdom of God. Jesus answered in verse 5, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. People will often refer to this and say that this describes the condition of water baptism, that you have to be water baptized in order to be saved, otherwise you simply cannot enter the kingdom of God. And I don't see that at all. From what I can tell, he's talking about being born of the flesh. In verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That which is born of the flesh refers back to verse 5, where he says you're born of water. When a person is born out of the womb, they're born out of the water that was in the womb. It's natural birth. You have to be born into this world as a physical person, and then you also have to be born spiritually, which is something that the Lord our God will do for those people who want to be born again, born from above born anew by the Holy Spirit of God. There is nothing here about the conditions for salvation other than to state that a person has to be born physically and they have to be born spiritually, which is something that he accomplishes through the gospel itself. John chapter 15, verses 5 through 6, he speaks about being the vine and the fire that a person will be cast into if they fail to meet certain requirements. Beginning in John chapter 15, Verse 5, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch, and is withered, and they gather them, and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Now, there are two ways of reading John chapter 15, verses 5 through 6. Two different ways of reading this. One way is through the foreshadowing of what he would accomplish through the new covenant. The other way is to understand this from the perspective of the old covenant. I'm going to start with that, with the perspective from the old covenant. In order to abide in him, according to his ministry, you would need to understand the commandments of God and obey the commandments of God. Abiding in him would mean that you are going to believe the truth of the commandments, of the expectations of God. You will abide in him through your repentance and obedience. That that would be the initial understanding that I would expect somebody to assume by hearing him make these statements when he made these statements. That they would understand that he has proclaimed the truth, they are to abide in that truth and live according 
to that truth. If they succeed in living in obedience to the commandments that he proclaimed throughout his ministry, then fruit will be expressed without question, certainly. If they obey the commandments of God, there will be a manifestation of fruit through their abiding in his truth that he communicated concerning living a life according to the Mosaic law. The problem is is that no one is going to be able to do that, as I explained earlier in the conversation that I read in Luke chapter 10. No one is going to be able to do this. No one will abide in Jesus in that way. Therefore, according to what he has said, all of the branches will be thrown into the fire. All of them will be thrown into the fire. Not one will be preserved. They will all go if that is what it means to abide in him as the vine. Now, I believe that he is proclaiming something in addition to that. I believe that he is proclaiming the new covenant through this statement. But I believe that this first has to be understood from the perspective of the people who were around him, and it has to be understood in the context of his ministry, and that to me would be the first way to understand this, but there is a proclamation concerning the new covenant that if we abide in him according to the truth that he does not hold our sins against us anymore, that he loves us perfectly, that we are a child of God, that we have received an inheritance in Christ Jesus because of what he did for us, because he died on our behalf, if we abide in those truths then there will be a dramatic change in our lives. Consider forgiveness, because there is so much that I can say about this. I don't have time in this program to address it all. If you consider the subject of forgiveness, of which I did do a series of programs on forgiveness, where I talk about this all the way through, from the forgiveness that we have received to the forgiveness that we give to others, that is an expression of abiding in the vine and fruit being born. When we rest in and abide in the forgiveness that we have in Christ, then as we rest in him, as we abide in him, there will come a point when his forgiveness is manifested within and through us to the extent where we will express forgiveness towards someone else. This is a realistic transaction. This is something that happens with believers, usually over the course of time, it is an expected and it is a recognized expression of faith that does take place. When a person understands forgiveness in the way that I described it in the programs that I referred to, that you can find in the radio archive, that kind of forgiveness is understood and has been expressed many times to the extent where I can have great confidence and say this with confidence, that you should expect that kind of fruit to be born. And when it is, there is an opportunity to see a confirmation with regards to you abiding in the vine. But this was a truth that was not available until after he died and rose from the dead. It was not available at the time when he was speaking about this in John chapter 15. That is why I have to refer to this in two contexts. One context being the Old Covenant when he was proclaiming this, and another context concerning the foreshadowing that is revealed in the New Covenant after he died and rose from the dead and people were able to abide in him according to different truths 
not according to the truth of the old covenant of a life of repentance and obedience according to the law, but now living according to other truths on the basis of what he accomplished for us, setting us free from the law so that we might be able to walk in a newness of life. And so there is an opportunity here for us to see two different meanings when it comes to this subject. There is an expression of this that is also found in the book of Romans. I'll take a moment to refer to that right now. In the book of Romans, chapter 11, verses 19 through 23, it says, beginning in verse 19, You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said, because of unbelief they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell. Severity, but toward you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. This is about salvation. It is about salvation, but I want you to understand that we have to first consider the branches that are broken off, and then I believe you can understand the branches that are there of those who are considered to be Christians, but maybe they might lose their place, they might be cut off. I'll explain that in just a moment. First, I'm going to begin with the branches that were broken off so that others might be grafted in. That's verse 19. In verse 19, it says that there were branches broken off. These were the Israelites, the Jews, effectively at this time, who were considered to be a part of the kingdom of God to the extent that it existed at that time. They were not saved. They were not people born again by the Holy Spirit of God. You have to start with that. You have the vine and the branches, and the branches in verse 19, are these people who are not saved. They are not born again. They are broken off in the sense that the Lord has invoked the new covenant and has placed this requirement that the people believe in the Messiah. Because they refuse to believe in the Messiah, they are broken off. Right, But they are not broken off in the sense that they lose salvation because they never had salvation to begin with. That's the point, is that just because you are a branch attached to this vine or attached to this tree doesn't mean by default that you're saved. It doesn't mean that. He continues on to say that if they do not continue in unbelief, in verse 23, that they can be grafted back in. But just because they are grafted back in that may not necessarily mean that they're saved either. So first begin with the understanding that just because you are attached in some way, attached according to some criteria, that does not automatically equate to salvation. He says that the Gentiles were grafted in. In verse 20, he goes on and he says, Well said, because of unbelief they were broken off, you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. They were grafted in. They were grafted in how? Chances are they were grafted in in the same way that the others had their place there because they decided to embrace the old covenant, the covenant that the other branches embraced 
that established their position there in the vine. The Gentiles were converting to Judaism. Most of the people who Paul spoke with and addressed were part of churches, and those churches were composed of people who had converted to Judaism. He spoke with those people of the synagogues. They believed in the Messiah, and they became a part of the church. They became believers, and he is writing to these people saying that he acknowledges that they were grafted in so that they were also considered to be Jews. They were considered to be members of the nation of Israel. They were grafted in because of their belief. Belief in what? In the living God, in the true and living God, and in the old covenant they were grafted in. So they can be broken off as well. Now, they can be grafted in through their belief in the Messiah. In addition to that, after the Messiah was revealed... And through the Apostle Paul and others, this was communicated, it was expressed. People can be grafted in through their belief in the Messiah. That can certainly take place. But if at some point they decide that they're simply not going to believe in the Messiah anymore, then they're going to be cut off just as those others who did not believe in the Messiah anymore. So in this case, the issue becomes, under what circumstances... Would a person believe in Jesus and then no longer believe in Jesus? I will say, as I explained in previous programs, that this will occur if a person does not have a correct understanding of the gospel, but that if a person does have a correct understanding of the gospel, they are not going to do that. They're not going to reject the Lord. They're going to continue to abide in him. Now, I'm not going to take time in this program to say any more about that, because in the previous programs I explained that I simply have never encountered anyone who left the faith and also believed the gospel as I understand it. And I have spoken with many people about that and asked people about what they believed that they rejected. Most of what they believed I would have rejected, and I tell them that. I say, well, of course, you should leave that kind of a faith. That doesn't sound like a good faith to me. I'm not going to proceed with that in this program because I've spent a lot of time in the previous program speaking about this. I will just simply say that this is a reality, that if a person is grafted in through their belief in the Messiah, they're not going to be taken out. Not in that way. The way that I understand this, though, is that there is a different vine. There has to be a different vine or a different tree because the one that he is referring to directly Here, in Romans chapter 11, which also is paralleled with John chapter 15, this vine, if this is a vine that a person can be attached to and not believe in Jesus as the Messiah, it's not the same vine as a person would be truly attached to if they did believe in Jesus as the Messiah. This is how I'm going to explain that. In Romans chapter 11, he speaks about the branches that were broken off, the people who did not believe in Jesus as the Messiah. Well, they were attached, and yet they did not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Well, that's the point. If that is what this vine is, then when the vine changes, when it becomes something else or when there is an alternative vine, I think it's reasonable to say that there is a different vine. It's reasonable to say that the vine changed because of the time of the Messiah. I can understand and embrace it in either one of those ways. It doesn't matter to me. My point is, is that the vine that the unbelievers were attached to 
is not going to be the same vine that you are attached to. Therefore, I feel comfortable in saying that there can be different criteria by which a person is attached or broken off. And when the vine changes, then the rules change, the criteria changes, the law changes, everything changes, so that you cannot apply the same criteria of the same kind of unbelief to the new vine of the Messiah, because it has changed. It has been transformed. So if a person is grafted in to Judaism, then certainly they can be broken off, which can still occur. But if they are grafted in according to the true gospel, now they're not going to be broken off from that because, first of all, of the definition of the gospel itself and also because the Lord is not going to save somebody who doesn't really want to be saved, who doesn't understand salvation to the extent that he would feel comfortable in resurrecting that individual. He can make good decisions concerning this. I don't have to concern myself with that. But this is how I personally would view both John chapter 15 and Romans chapter 11, to consider this from the perspective, from the point of view, that first of all, the vine is the vine of the old covenant. And second of all, when the vine is changed and transformed, so the rules are changed also. The criteria changes also. When the vine is transformed to the new covenant, things will be different, which is why I do not believe that he is talking about someone losing their salvation, either here in John chapter 15 or Romans chapter 11. What he is talking about is those unbelievers who never obtained salvation to begin with. To deal with those who will also be cut off, that is if they do not continue in his goodness. That's in verse 22. If they do not continue in his goodness, continue to where? Continue all the way, all the way from the vine of the old covenant to the vine of the new covenant being established by the gospel. That is how I read this, is that it is easy for a person to be converted to Judaism. It's even easy for a person to become a member of a church, a member of one of these churches. But to continue in his goodness, in belief, they must therefore make the transition all the way to obtain the fullness of his goodness, which is when an individual is resurrected from the dead through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, and a person can rest in that through the forgiveness of sins and freedom from the law. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. 